I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. Here are some things that don't go together. Caviar and Cheetos, Dostoevsky and Six Flags, Jews and the NFL. But just like there's probably someone somewhere who likes Cheetos with their caviar, and another person who read Crime and Punishment on a roller coaster, today we're joined by a Jew who was in the NFL. Yosef Murray, formerly Calvin Murray, was a running back in the NFL. His career started at Ohio State playing college football. Murray was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in 81, and then in 83 he played for the Chicago Blitz of the USFL, a league that ran for three years back in the 80s. Murray and his wife Emuna, formerly Jerry, who's here with us today, were youth pastors and raised their six children in a devout Christian home. But that was all very long ago. We're thrilled to be joined by Yosef Murray today to talk about his life, his career, and his discovery of Judaism. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that introduction. And it's a great honor to come to Tel Aviv on um, my visit. Not my visit, but now I'm a citizen. I did Aliyah. Well, like three weeks ago, right? Right, three weeks ago. So so now I I am a citizen, and it's just really a... A great honor to be with you, uh, uh, young men, and see how I can help you out today. And this That's is your amazing. book, right? Yes, it by, is. By, it's about you and written by Imuna? Yes, Imuna is my wife. Yes. And she, um, every time we were going to different uh, Shabbos tables, they kept saying, man, your story is inspiring, inspiring, inspiring. So why don't you write a book? And finally, um, a lady gave us a good idea and said, why don't you call it Rose Bowl to Rashi? And that stuck. And so here we are. My wife just, she took her about uh, three years to write the book. And she was very consistent because if it was up to me to write the book, it would still be not written. So, so she's your biographer, <laughs> biographer yes. essentially. Yes, yes, she's great. She's a great writer. She's a great woman. And I'm very proud to have her because, you know, Yosto Samuna, you know, and she's, she's just a really great woman. And I'm very proud to be her husband. Those are strong words of praise. Yeah. It was so, worth for her to come already <laughs> today. So so as you explained to us before, Rose Bowl is like the Super Bowl of college ball. He was um, explaining it to me. To, to you. But I mean, honestly, I wasn't entirely sure. Ah, okay. Neither of us, we should give you a disclaimer. Neither of us mm-hmm. ha- like know anything about sports. Right. And I think anybody who's stuck with us this long listening to the podcast. Yeah probably doesn't know too much about sports we're not a sports podcast so maybe give us a little bit of background we want to kind of talk about your whole life but let's start at the beginning give us a bit of background what is it like playing at that level like college ball which in the states is honestly like professional ball and then going on to the nfl well i tell you first of all it was a tremendous journey i'll start with it from my high school days um when i was a freshman I walked into, we had a meeting, we had a meeting with the high school coach. And I came in and I walked in with my father and he said, Cal, what are your goals? And I was like, goals? What are you talking about goals? And he said, you need to set goals for yourself. What do you want to do and how do you want to get there? So I said, well, man, I knew who my mom and dad's favorite teams were in college and and in the pros. So what I did is I wrote, um, I want to play for Ohio State. 
and I want to play for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I want to work with kids. So I wrote all three of those down, and those were my motivators. I had no idea that I was going to be able to fulfill those. And my freshman year, um, we only had six games. And I ran for over 2,000 yards, if you know what that is. Question, That's a carrying lot. the ball. I was a, running, <laughs> I was a running back. So I carried the ball. So when they hand the ball off, I was the guy that they gave it to. And so I ran for 2,000 yards and 16 touchdowns in six games. And so we had to go from our freshman over to the senior high. So as a sophomore coming over, you know, it was really kind of hard because for some reason there was some animosity and things that were going on with some of the players of us coming over. And I said, man, I'm just coming over to help out. And I had to really, really work hard um, to get an opportunity. And, um, and I'll, I'm going to leave some things out because there's some really negative things that happened. There was a lot of per, um, persecution because I was black and trying to hold me back and and not giving me – I didn't get any athletic awards from my high school, and I was – Where was it? In Millville, New Jersey. Okay. This is in the 70s? Yes. And um, from that – not getting any awards that my senior class voted me senior class president. And our our little town of Woodbine is where I grew up. And we were bused 26 miles to go there because our community, our little town was made up of blacks and Jews. And so we had to get bused into a whole other community. That's another long story. But those are the things that correspond and help motivate me. So after getting through that, and getting to the high school and getting the opportunity and working hard. A lot of the things that I did, um, we won a state championship and everything because, you know, the talents that, mm -hmm. you know, Hashem gave me and all I wanted to do, but it was another high school. It was Defford High School and, and I, and we were in the semis and I scored six touchdowns against this, um, to uh, their team in the, in the semis. And he was the one who instrumentally um, he had some players that were very talented, and he said uh, to Ohio State, because Ohio State had came to his school, he said, look, you got to go further south. There's a boy down there. He, let me show you the film. And he showed him the film of what I did. And that's how Ohio State got to know it. it was coach this is the coach of the opposing team. Yes, the coach of the opposing team told the scout. It's, yes, it's, it's all Hashem, you know, and – so that, that coach came down and he said, we started recruiting. So well, after Ohio State started coming after you, that was it. Notre Dame, everybody was all coming after me. I was offered money, clothing, cars, girls, whatever I wanted. <laughs> it was to come to their school. It was there. Now, and Ohio State's like one of the big college teams. It's one of the, one of the biggest, top ones. one of the top-notch teams. Now, uh, what does that mean, offer money? Because technically, I mean, back in that, in that time, it was it allowed? It was, no, you weren't allowed to do that. It was a thing that was done underneath the table, really? behind the scenes that a lot of people don't really want to talk about, but it's really there. And it's still, still happening today. It's still there. It's still happening there. It's still going on. It's just Why a, isn't it allowed to offer money because you're in college? Because, because you're in college and you're on a full ride and they and the NCAA made rules where you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so now the rules are so ridiculous that it's uh, if I invited a former a player that's current player now to my house just for water and have some conversation to help him, that's illegal. That's what? considered a benefit, yes. The so, water, water costs money. 
I know. <laughs> That's a present. But he has to buy it himself. He can't, I can't give it That's to him. That's crazy. So, so you get kind of uh, you get uh, recruited by Ohio State. I got recruited by a lot of schools. Yes, but I mean, eventually you end up with Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, I did. I went. Um, we were only allowed six visits, and Ohio State was my visit. When I went to the campus, I met the legendary coach Woody Hayes, and I played for him. And it was amazing when he came to our hometown in South Jersey, because. You know, all of my family's there, my grandmothers, everybody's there to to meet because, you know, Woody Hayes is coming. He's a, he was a legend. And there was a Nash trade there, and he goes, um, we won't be needing this. And he moved it away, and then <laughs> he started talking. But he talked to everybody but me, and I'm like, hello, I'm the one who's got to make the decision whether I still want to go to Ohio State, even though I remember that it was one of my goals. And so... Sounds like he knew how to woo you. Yes, he did. He, he, said, play, he played hard to get. He played, well, <laughs> yes. And what he also did is he, you know, I said, let's talk, coach. And he's like, I'll talk and I'll deal with you later. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so he, what he was doing, that I found out later what he was doing, he was seeing if I fit the kind of players that he brings in to his organization. You see what I'm saying? So it's a system. It's a big system that he but had. How was he saying? Like, was he checking he, your he, family? Yes, life? he was seeing my family life. Because yeah. what he would do is he would take a a a, per, a a player who came from a single home, and he would put them with a family who came with a two parent home, in hopes that that family would help that boy who only had the one parent. Really? Yes. So and he kind of used the the team as kind of like a rehabilitation. Yes. Method. Yes. And, and so you let's let's talk a bit about your your childhood. So you okay. grew up in a one parent home? No, I grew up in two parent home. Okay. My father and mother uh, were very strong, and because um, I was the oldest, I had um, I'm the oldest of five children, and my father was very hard worker. And my mother was a very strong disciplinarian, and she grew up with a family of 16, and my dad was a family of 11. Wow. And they taught me tremendous values. My grandfather um, owned 30 acres of, that we all grew up on. Uh, there was uh, four of the children had homes on the property, and we, we were 19 of them. He was an entrepreneurial grandfather? My, yes, my grandfather was an entrepreneur, yes. And he used to lead the corner of the field for the poor to come and glean up in, uh -huh. in town. That's and in Jersey. That's in Jersey. And my dad was also an entrepreneur where he was a truck driver and he had eight semis and about 20 some trailers and he'd haul for Jewish companies because they said, look, we have this business, will you haul for us? And they said, my dad said yes. And he was very, very wealthy. So I understand. I see where it says, I will bless them that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. Um, but I seen the blessing that happened for our family, just you know, being in the Jewish community and working together as. Yeah. And what talent talents did you possess as a kid, which allowed you to become such a good player growing up? Well, I went to um, First Baptist Church, and those values that they put in us, you know, to get up early, you know, not be late. Um, the discipline that um, I had to do when working on the the around the house or around on trucks or working on our farm or whatever it was, those were tools then that were instrumentally that were put in. 
And before we would be able to start a day, we had to go and speak because our grandmother was the only one that was still there because her grandfather died in 1960. And we would have to go and talk to grandma and get her blessing and then go play and then go do all the things. So everything started from grandma. And so those values that she had, they passed on to us. How do we respond? And my grandfather was a man of his word. If he told you that he was going to do something, he did it. And if people in the community told me, my grandfather's a man, you shake his hand, he said he was going to do it. He did what he said he was going to do, and he did it in the time. And so that was a lot of great respect for, oh, you're a Murray, so I know the values that you were put in because I know your grandfather. And so those things started really ringing in my soul and really made me realize that I have a standard that I have to live up to because my grandfather held that standard and he only had a third grade education. He couldn't even write his own name. Mm-hmm. So that's the Murray standard. Yes. That's the name for your next book, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so your grandfather actually, I mean, was alive from in what time? I mean, he, must he have was been... I was born in 58. He died in 1960. So I don't so remember have, him. He might have been born. Was he born before the turn of the century? The 20th oh, century? he was born in 1892. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So he saw a really rough time in America. Yeah, and built. And mm-hmm. still managed to build yeah. kind of build himself up. Right. That's actually very interesting, right. his story. Right. Um, okay, so tell us a bit about pro-life. Like, what, what was it like to be uh, kind of uh, scouted out and recruited by the NFL? Well... You, that, you eventually became MVP in uh, Ohio State. Right. Um, it was four years. I was a four-year varsity letter winner. If you understand what that means, that means my freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year, I lettered. And that's a high honor at Ohio State because there's not very many guys that can letter four years. And also, I was um, when I was in high school, they actually told me I wasn't a leader and I wouldn't amount to anything. And... It's amazing. I took that negative energy, what they told me I couldn't do. Instead of being down, and, and I said, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to show you that I am the man that I am, and I'm going to let everybody see that I can do what you said I can't do. And so I took that energy, and I put it into what I was doing at Ohio State. I wasn't a big guy. I was a little guy. I mean, I was only 150 pounds as a running back, and that's small. But I had knowledge, you know, I could see things, I could see things happen and I had great speed. So those were the things that helped me. And one of the things that the coaches really like at the high state level are people who are very smart, who can recognize and see things happening. Because one of the things you have to understand when you're out there in front of over 100,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs, two bands playing their instruments is loud and you still have to hear the voice of the quarterback and the only way you can hear that one voice you have to train for it you have to learn to block all that noise out to hear one voice but I took that same concept of where I learned that in playing pro sports and playing college sports and I brought to my that to my relationship with Hashem because I know what Hashem's voice was like because I heard his voice speak to me as a young child and as I was growing up he was still bringing that same voice still speaks to me today and I'm able to put out all that noise and focus in on my relationship with Hashem and, and um, allow him to move within me and then I can hear from him in the direction that he wants me to do and how he wants me 
to enlighten the Jewish community. That's, that's an amazing metaphor. How, how what led you kind of like, what, when was the first time I guess that it, not, you weren't hearing the quarterback voice, but you right. were hearing Hashem's voice. Like at what point, what, what drew you to Judaism? I tell you what, you know, it's amazing. I wish I could um, show you in film because it was a, there was a running play. We were playing our, our rival. Our rival was Michigan. I mean, and I don't even like saying the name. We always called it the team up north. And we were playing them. And um, I remember we were in a very key position. And uh, Arch Leister, who was our quarterback, he did a little dump off to me, and I caught a pass. And I was, I was running. I always remember that God always used to speak to me because I have a run in high school where I got this – you know, I heard this voice say in my mind, this run is going to be what it's like when you accept my ways. And all 11 guys in high, in the high school had a chance to tackle me. And it's amazing. As soon as I got the ball, I was going to the right. A guy jumped on, big old lineman jumped on my back. And I flew him off. And then another guy came up. And then another linebacker was coming full speed just like that. And we were going to just go on a collision course. I stopped. And he went on past. And I went. And I went 90 yards for a run for a touchdown those things just were happening and so when we were playing Ohio State in Michigan I heard the voice say stop and I kept going and I got tackled and when I go back and I look at film and I show if I showed you a film of it I said if I, I can tell you when the voice said stop you can if I stop the guy would have ran past I would have cut behind and I would have scored and because I didn't listen, so now I understand when God says stop or God says move or, you know, because of that relationship that we, we had and that that's why I chose the name Yosef. That's how I played and that's how I still act today. And that was... You know, but but at what point did kind of that, you know, voice inside you say there's something missing here, you need to, there's a different path that you need to take? Because... I mean, I think we can all agree that, you know, the, 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 even for a Christian NFL player, right. the normal path isn't kind of right. to convert to Orthodox Judaism, make right. Aliyah to Israel. Right. That's like, that's very, di so w when did that kind of, when did that shift happen? That shift, I would have to say that that shift really happened when I met Amuna. Um, because I was really a very strong Christian and doing a lot of things in the Christian world. I started the FCA, you know what that is, called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So it was, I started that in high school. I started that when I was in the NFL. And matter of fact, when I was in the NFL um, and when I was drafted by the Eagles, I started it uh, there and we were having a Bible study. It was a Bible study at home. And then um, I got a phone call one day, and I don't know if you know who this is. But it was Dr. J, Julius Irvin. Dr. J I told you a, we know nothing about sports. Okay, well, Dr. J, <laughs> it, back in the day, was a big time uh, basketball. You know, like Michael Jordan, and uh -huh. uh, well, he was the original before those guys. Okay. And, and he came to my house to study the Word of God, and I was like, wow. And that was the 76ers, and you know, so the Eagles and the 76ers, and a lot of the great baseball players, they were all coming to my Bible study because I was hosting it in my house. And so those things all started everywhere, every level, everywhere I went, I said, where's God? Where's God? I kept 
every time we were somewhere, I said, where's God? And that's, that's the way I am. And, you know, even at work, I'm like, where's God? We can't leave God out. God has to always be a part of everything we're doing. And so when I went through a bad divorce and I had two boys and Amuna, she had two boys and she was looking for uh, a big brother for to work with her sons to do some things so that, because she knew that they needed a man in their life. You know, to help guide. Boys always need another older man to help guide them. And she couldn't get anybody, and and it was real tough for her. And um, I was going to another church, and she was going to another a different church. And the mother of the daughter where I was going to church had mentioned to her that she was looking for a big brother, and I said I would do it. And so we met at a neutral place, both the kids and everything, so we can be sure that I was being safe because you got to know who your kids, you know, are being around. And so we did that, and we found that she made me safe. She seen that I was safe. And it didn't interest. We started looking at each other like, wow, man, we, we got a good <laughs> thing going on here, so let's uh, go on and finish this off. And but I wasn't real sure, and I, and I really had three women that I respected the most, and that was my mother and my two grandmothers. And so I didn't tell her. I took her home to meet them. And both of them, I, and I asked Hashem, I said, look, if she's the right one for me, let those three women tell me. And she didn't know I did it. So I said that prayer, and I took her home, and my mother, when I bring her in, she, she says, she's the right one for you. Ching, ching, one. Then I took her <laughs> over to my other grandmother, and she was a very quiet woman. She told she was sitting in a rocking chair, smiling, and we're talking and everything. Then out of the clear, she goes, "She's the right one for you." I'm like, "Oh, okay, two. And then I took her over to my mother's mother, and the same thing happened again. She came out of her prayer closet because she was a praying woman. She always already had me reading the Psalms and everything when I was a kid. And um, she goes, "She's the right one for you." And so we started on that journey together, which we had no idea was going to lead us to Orthodox Judaism. We had no idea. That wasn't even even remotely even a possibility. possibility. So and what was the first step of it the was, journey? It was what happened was a lady came to us and said, do you know the origins of Christmas? And we're like, huh? What? And then she showed us some things that were historical. So we started studying and we seen that, oh man, we this is not what we should be doing. This is a pagan holiday. So we put um, Christmas away. How come it's a pagan holiday? You know, that's another subject that would take a long time to explain out. But it's it's for a Christian. It's it's a hard thing to discover, I guess. You've been it's like trees. It's self trees because all right. life I've been. I've been believing in that, celebrating right. that. So, right. so have I. So, no, I'm. I'm saying, if right. as a Christian, if I, right. I'm a Christian, I'm like, yeah, I've been celebrating that my whole life, and now it's pagan. So, what does that? Where does that well, leave me? Well, what happens is a lot of people don't really research and and find out when did it originate and where and how it originated and what really was going on, and how that even in this country it was. Um, the, the pilgrims, as they came over, they were trying to escape from that so that they didn't want to bring that over. They didn't want to celebrate it, but it was really like Hallmark or some of that brought Christmas back in and Coca-Cola, you know, they started bringing, and they started bringing the symbols and those things back in. They, they brought it back, 
but the original uh, pilgrims who came over, they didn't want anything to do with um, uh, Christmas. That's what they were running from when they were over in England. They were and that stuff. They were they were separating. But there's a whole list of things that I don't have in front of me that I could tell you about it. But those okay. were that that was that was where we started. That was for us, and that's that's. And what, the questions started to pop. Basically. The questions started to pop from there. From there, yeah. it just went on. And so it's, self, it's a journey of self-doubt. Yes. Essentially. Right. Right. Asking questions. Asking questions. And that was really amazing because one of the things when we started on this journey of asking questions and as we kept going and kept going, we kept seeing things. And then next thing you know, we found ourselves in the Messianic movement. You know what that is, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. And so that was a Jewish flavor of christianity but also judaism and so we really were like wow yeah this is this is good this is that but then my wife she started going even further that wasn't enough for her and she um was digging more and she started reading books from rabbi tuvia singer you know who he is no okay well he's really he understands that concept and how words were changed and so the fit to call like you know what it was a young lady to what is a virgin and all that just all that stuff he he really laid out and he really is a, a really an expert on the difference between Judaism and Christianity and he has two books out there you know let's get biblical so you can read those and you can find out what he's what he's talking about so we we she found out about him and she was reading them and this is when I was a, a pastor a youth pastor in the in the church. Messianic church. No, I was in a regular church, but okay. we were going to a messianic church. Okay. A messianic. Uh, uh, so you were going to the messianic church on Saturday. We were going. We were going. To, yeah, right. We were going to a messianic congregation. You were mixing it all up. We were mixing it all up. Yeah. <laughs> we were. We were really a just like bit of this, a little bit a little, of that. Yeah, we were. We were just tasting it. Mm, yeah, we liked that. And we, it's like open but, relationship only. In, right. With religion. In religion. Yeah. In religion. Yes, that's what we did. And then um, finally. <laughs> You know, what was amazing was that um, we got fired for being too Jewish. Really? From the from the Messianic community or from the... Uh, from the church. From the church. Yes, because they found out that we were bringing a lot of Jewish concepts to the kids, and the kids were really eating it up. They were loving it. Just like, wow, man, this is really good, and we love this. This is, this is what we like. And, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> man, bam. They said, oh, you're done. And they just escorted me out and just said, you know, we, we can't have you in here more. You're a heretic. You, you got to go. And, you know, when you think about it, I'm working. It's a Hollywood drama right. scene. Well, you know, I'm working with about 50-some <laughs> kids, and then all of a sudden, nothing? And that was paying my mortgage? And I'm like, wow, okay, what am I going to do? And lo and behold, uh, Munda's grandmother was 92 at the time, and she fell and she broke her hip. And she couldn't stay alone anymore. And so she said, you know, I'll, I'll come and stay at your house, but the only way I stay is if I pay you. And that made up for what we lost in my paycheck um, for uh, the being a pastor. So Hashem was already orchestrating and just making things happen and turning things around so that we can see. And we just kept going. But you got to understand, all of this corresponded in 10 years. 
It didn't just right. It didn't just happen. It was, and I was like, I am not going. I am not denying Jesus. I am not. I was, I was locked in, you know, because I always tell people, you know, how you get in a roller coaster. You've been on a roller coaster, and they mm-hmm. lock you in. I said that's where I was. I was locked. I said I am not leaving. I'm not moving. I'm not here. I don't want to hear it, honey. If you want to go that way, you can go right ahead, but you're going by yourself because I'm not going. It was, it was too much out of your comfort zone. It was very much out of my comfort zone. But then there was a conversation that I didn't tell you about that I had with my mother when she was alive. Uh, my mother had passed away. Um, but she talked about when I was born in 1958, she said there was this glow that she saw on me, and she didn't understand it. And so Hashem used her, her voice, to come back to me when I was, I'm not, I'm not moving off of this. I'm staying a Christian. I'm believing in Jesus. He's Lord of Lords, you know. And, I, and she came to me and she goes, Calvin, you have a Jewish neshama. Go on and finish your journey. Your mother used the word neshama? Yes, in my dream, yes. Wow, and, and you, did you know the word neshama before? Yes, that? oh uh, yeah, I okay. knew what that was. Still, I knew, yeah, yeah. still Pretty cool dream. Yes, and and that's when I realized, you know what, I got to, and ever since then, I never looked back, and my life just went on because I got the validation from my, from the woman that I, you know, really respected the most was my, you know my mother, and she was always a, a prayer warrior and, and a guider and. And really, she saw me on my journey. She saw me, you know, um, doing things in Judaism and prayer struggles. And she saw a little bit of that before she passed. But, you know, for her to come and to tell me that, and I, I knew Hashem used her, her voice. So it was just kind of like an epiphany. One day she came to you in a dream, and yeah. mm-hmm. since then. Yep, since then. and then that's It's amazing I, how, how, how much dreams, like my father also was uh, not religious. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, in Hebrew you say, chazar b'tshuvah, return to observance. Mm-hmm. And he also, he had a dream. Wow. It's amazing how much dreams kind of can I like... I also had a dream when I conceived this podcast. Really? Yeah. Really? No, not really. <laughs> but it would have been very, so cool. <laughs> Your your Polish grandmother, your Romanian, yeah. came to you and said, "Podcast." Yeah, take Aton and. <laughs> but yeah, I don't get no. But it's dreams, amazing how really how dreams kind of because you know it's, it's just kind of it's like it's almost like ourselves speaking to yeah. us, right? Yeah, right. So so you it managed to kind of unlock yourself on that roller coaster, yes. as you put it, and right. kind of take that step towards Judaism, but yes. then. But now then we're in a like, different role. Of yeah, cluster. but then exactly, it's like, aren't you yeah. afraid of? Because I, I get that by nature you're you're a person that asks questions. Yes. So where does that leave you now? You're afraid well, you're on the wrong it, roller coaster. It, it was amazing because what happened? My wife, she's a searcher, and she's a former legal secretary, so she knows about searching for things. Uh-huh. And she searched Kabbalah. And the rabbi said, we, he invited us over to a Shabbos meal. And he says, at his Shabbos table, he goes, ask the rabbi any questions. And we're like, are you serious? And he's like, yes, ask the rabbi. See if you can stump the rabbi. And well, that was it. Chabad are famous for having answers to every question. <laughs> 
Well, it, yeah, so. it, it was amazing, though. But I guess it, he did have an answer. He did have an answer. Yeah. 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 So for us, that's what we needed to hear was, you know, even if even if the answer was, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That was very important because to say that I know everything and to act like I know. What did th- he say to you? I don't know about. There were some things. Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, I think it was something he didn't know. Or what were like the tough one of the tough questions you asked him about? Fake? It was my wife who was the one who was asking the questions. <laughs> I I was sitting back just <laughs> watching the um, the drama the drama unfold, and I just was a smart <laughs> man to just let my wife just go right on on and do it. And she she was just inquisitive about everything. It was fierce and, uh, with the rebel. You know, she didn't yeah yeah, yeah like didn't make life easy on him. Right, you know how <laughs> hey man the halaka, you know how did you do this or what happens if this happens if you do this what happens if we do this over <laughs> here? I mean she was like on it and the rabbi was like yeah well this is what our tradition is this is what halaka says and you know she was she was on top of it and she was that's that she she's really really good at that and that made it a lot easier for me, but you know it was amazing because. To be an Orthodox Jew, I had to be recircumcised and all those things, and I had to go through all that. And that was that was really a, a amazing thing because when we walked in, we actually would um, just the other day we were with our one of our based in rabbis who was from um, the state of Michigan, who was where we did our conversion, and you did a fully Orthodox. Uh, yes, I, I presume otherwise yes. Israel wouldn't let you right. make Aliyah. Right, did a full. The tough one, the, the tough, tough journey. One. Yeah. So you were with mm-hmm. the, this rabbi from the right. base then? Right, and we were talking about how, you know, our journey has been and how he, he saw it. And I said, when did you really see that we were candidates? She said, man, when y'all walked in. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. He said, because you were for real, but we just had to make sure that you were really for real and if whether you're going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. And Moon and I both are people, when we make a commitment, we make a commitment. We told our kids that we wanted to show them that a husband and a wife can love and treat each other. And so we are now in our 27th year of marriage, a second marriage, and we're allowing our, our kids are grown. And our oldest is 38 and our youngest is 24. She's 24. And we have five boys. And we're trying to show them that marriage is important and how valuable and how to give and take, mm-hmm. you know, and, but I got to ask you, so you, you convert an Orthodox conversion right. in the States, mm-hmm. but again, it's like you're on one roller coaster and you choose to jump to another. Cause mm-hmm. there's, you can live like a healthy, comfortable Jewish Orthodox life mm-hmm. in the States. Mm-hmm. Why the hell <laughs> would you move to the middle of the Middle East in, in July? Yeah, <laughs> in July. In July. Yeah, you made well, Aliyah in the middle of the summer, man. That was a bad decision. <laughs> well, you know, no, I'm kidding. But I why? know, I know what you mean. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. But you know, this is this is how Hashem works. When you know, because I didn't know that I was really going to do Aliyah this soon. I was really planning on about 65 to do it, but for some reason, you know, it really just came upon my heart. This is my home. You know, and again, the voice which you, right. which you take from the noise. Right. Yeah. Right. And so when, you know, I do a lot. You know what hip body do is? 
Yeah. Isolation. Right. That's personal prayer. That's spending time. I spend a lot of time talking to Hashem. Mm -hmm. A lot of time walking out in the wilderness, out wherever I can get it, driving in the car, wherever. I'm always talking to Hashem. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And even when I made the commitment to um, to marry Amuna, I said, I want to make her the happiest woman in the world. Well, I didn't know that that was going to happen where she was like, comes to me and says, hey, I want to do Aliyah. And I'm like, well, what about me? You know, what about us? You know, and so I, and then I remember the voice comes back. You said you want to make her the happiest woman in the world. And this is part of it. So I said, okay, you can go do Aliyah and get things set up and I'll come later. And when I really noticed is when I came to visit her after we did the first trial, we did the first, went to the rabbi and we told him, he said, you know, don't spend no more than 90 days apart. So we had rabbinic covering over it. And when I came to visit her, in Israel, she was glowing, and she's still glowing. And I said, I can't take this away from her. She's so her soul is so happy. You live in Jerusalem, right? Just outside at Ma'ale to me, and I and I couldn't take that away. That would be very selfish of me as a man. And when I said it, I want to make her happy. So that's why I said, you know what? We'll continue it on. And the next thing you know, here I am, two years later, doing Aliyah myself. I love this land. I know this is our home. I want to help young Jewish, older Jewish people to realize that, you know, Hashem blessed us to be a light to the world, to show the world how we should treat each other, how we should love on each other, how our families should be functioning, how our communities should be functioning, how we should be treating each other, and then also those who don't agree with this. It's okay that you don't agree with me or you don't agree with me, but at least you hear me and I hear you. And we show each other that great respect because I think what is happening to us now out here in the world, we're not taking the time to listen what somebody else has to say. And we're calling people different names and, and putting them down or we're finding negative things to put them down to make them look bad, to tarnish them. And that's not hearing somebody. That's like bullying. That is bullying somebody. And I don't want to do that. I want to hear, and that's why I tell my students that I work with in America and the kids that I work with when I come over here in, in my homeland of Israel, is that don't let other people define your mind. Don't let other people control this brain, your brain, because you are the one that Hashem has given you the gifts and the talents that you have and your path. Your path is not my path. My path is not your path. And your path is everybody has their own paths and their own talents. And we need to all need to understand that. But also, how can I help you stay on your path and you stay on yours and I stay on mine? Mm -hmm. And so that's my, my gift to... That's beautiful. That, yeah. that I want to give to the Jewish community here. Would you still be interested like to train kids yes. in israel in football there's an israeli example. football yeah. league yes i did i already did um they actually uh, there's did. no one like you here right essentially no no it's like right i'm a, I'm a rare economy yeah yeah, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm rare you know yeah I know, and right. something i mean because it was really funny because there was some of the yeshiva boys in jerusalem they saw them they saw that i was wearing <laughs> this shirt and they were like all right did you 
play or are you just wearing the shirt? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I played. And they're like, what? And they lit up. And then they ended up um, getting me to come. And I ended up being in front of about 40 yeshiva boys. And, and we really broke it down. We sat down and we talked about the things that men struggle with. Because, you know, that's what I love to do. I love to, to help because when my wife and I were very important about how that our kids can come to us and open up and speak. Mm-hmm. And we created the dinner table for that so they can speak and say how they felt if they didn't like something, if they liked something or what was going on in their life and not be judged or punished for it. Yeshiva boys are famously not that into sports, at least the more right. hardcore ones, no, because the, it's, it's said that, that like the, a Jew needs to focus on, on the mind, right? You're thinking, not the body. The, you're thinking mm-hmm. of the Israeli Haredi Yeshiva Israeli boys. Israeli Yeshiva but boys. The, I think you're probably talking about some American Yeshiva boys, yes, right? Yes, it was. In, yeah. in Jerusalem, there's mm-hmm. a lot of the oh, gap year okay. American Yeshiva bochers who come from America, and okay, there yeah, there's well, the sports culture. I'm speaking about yeah, the yeah, yeah. hardcore Israeli Yeshiva yeah, boys, yeah. these guys are not into sports. Yeah, no, not at all. Well, I don't know because there were some that I met um, that were playing on the uh, the football team when they finally. Um, it was a year ago they did eleven man football. It used to be nine man or seven man, something like that. Uh-huh. They played, and now and I did the coin toss and yeah. and everything. Yes, you mean and the I, uh, the Israeli league. Yes, mm-hmm. the, I, they did it on the Crafts new field and there's the what there's the like the, the Tel Aviv the uh, Jerusalem. Oh, I forgot. There's the Patriots or something. I think it's Jerusalem Warriors or something like that. Pioneers. There's the Pioneers, Tel Aviv Pioneers or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember the name. So you're involved in that, in the league? Yes, I actually talked to a lot of the kids and gave a lot of advice and gave the kids a lot of different types of support and and also helped the refs and and everything because, you know, I have this NFL knowledge. Why don't I give to people who don't have it and, you know – teach them the right way so that nobody gets hurt and that's that's what i and talking about another two questions about the nfl first is Mm -hmm. what do you take from your years in the nfl and like lessons that you implement in day-to-day life okay and the second question is uh, are there any physical because it's famous famously nfl players uh right tend to be injured yes yeah Get yes. injured and all kinds Suffer of Suffer a lot of head injuries. Yeah. Like right. today, there's a lot of rules surrounding yeah. that. You so. can't touch the head. In my day of playing, you can smack a guy upside the head. But in now, you can't do that. It's totally illegal because you can give a guy so a concussion. Did you suffer any consequences? Yes. Yes, I did. Actually, I ended my career with the Chicago Bears um, right after they came off for the Super Bowl in 85. And... You know, at the time, I was looking to try to get back in the NFL. I had there was a gap I had that where I was out and not playing. And the quarterback at the time was Mike Tomzak, who was um, on that Super Bowl team, and he was a former Buckeye. And we went in Ohio. We played charity basketball games, so they asked me to come play on the charity basketball because they knew I played in the NFLs. So we all went out and we were playing basketball games and. He went back to the Bears and said, hey, I saw Cal. We need, they needed another running back with some experience to, to come to camp. And right after the Super Bowl, so they invited me up, and I signed me, and they invited me up. Well, three weeks into training camp, I go in, and I ask, I start a Bible study again three weeks in, and I said, okay, guys, um, you know, I'm out on the field, and I get a chance, and we're going live. This is full go, and you can't go full go anymore. What's uh, full go? Full go is like it's live where I can hit you as uh-huh. hard as I 
<laughs> I see. It's full and he tilt. Can. It, <laughs> not flag football. No, there's not touch. It's <laughs> not grab and hold. It's, it's I'm gonna take you and I'm okay. gonna hit. I'm gonna make you feel the pain. Okay. So that's, that's scary. Oh, God. so <laughs> so so that's what they did, and it was my turn to carry the ball to go to do that. And when I was with the Bears, and the next thing you know, I'm screaming and uh, I can't feel my legs. So I lost all feeling. I got oh, hit, and when I carried the ball, and I couldn't feel my legs. I'm like, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. So they carried me off and took me to the hospital. And they diagnosed me with a narrow spinal canal. And they said, you should have never, ever played football because you should have broke your neck. And years ago. Years ago. And I and said, that was the end of it. And that was the end of my career. My career was over with. I could no longer play. I was disabled from the league. Wait. So you you lost feeling in the leg for how long? I mean, came I back lost. Eventually. I lost for forty five, forty five minutes in one leg, and an hour, a couple hours in the left leg. Oh wow! Before they came back. Jeez. I didn't okay. know if I was going to ever walk again. Wow. That must have been scary. It was very scary, and that's when I realized. I said, you know what? It's over with. And but you know what the other thing was too is that I asked God to get me back in the NFL. He got me back in, and then I said, "Okay, God, why did you do this? Why did with three weeks did you take me out of the game? You get me back in, and you take that away from me." What's the lesson to be learned here? He said, "You didn't ask to stay." <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I asked to get back, and so what I did when I was talking to the yeshiva boys, I said, "Look." If you want Hashem to do something for be very detailed, do not tell God that you want this, 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 and you wanted something else and you didn't tell him. Because if he does exactly what you ask and you get upset, whose fault is it? It was mine. I didn't ask to stay. I didn't ask for his guidance and his protection. Didn't on, she you gotta ask for the right question? Understand it? And the kids, those guys understood. Couldn't he get it without you asking him? Yeah, he could get it, but he was teaching me a lesson. I see. You see that? Because now I'm using that lesson. And then there was a young yeshiva boy, and, and his father is um, Malcolm. No, no, it's Malcolm Siegel. He does a radio show in New York City, and his son was in there, and he he wanted he had a special decision that he had to make on his relationships that he had to make on going to yeshivas and everything and he heard me talk about that and i said be very detailed in it and he did exactly the the way you're supposed to do it be detailed and everything happened exactly the way he he he, he did it so what do you take to my other question what do you take from the nfl to day-to-day -day life i take perseverance you know you talked about coming here you know being hard and um and things being you know the political things that happen here in israel and everything and i'm like i'm already used to that lifestyle um and it's you know like my wife slava new you know just be patient be patient just be patient and i'm understanding that everything happens in hashem's time not my time And if I can learn to be patient and wait on him and wait for him to take care of me and that knowing that he's going to take care of me. And that's Amuna, you know, that's the, the, the Amuna, the relationship. And that's what I've learned about. Um, also, you know, another thing that a lot of people don't realize, I, I always tell kids when I'm talking to them or even 
adults, I say, how would you like at the end of the day, your boss comes and he tells you, now we're going to watch a big old screen here and we're going to watch how you interacted with people and how you did your job that day. Could you imagine how many of us would be not too anxious about getting home or getting to a situation? Self-evaluate. Yeah, self-evaluate. And that's what we always did all the time in the NFL. We always self-evaluate. I watch the mistakes. If I could have showed you we were standing up, but I can show you that when, when I'm a running back, I'm standing square. And if I take one step like this, an angle, just that one little step like that, that puts me in time for that hole to open up because the hole opens and closes that quick. I didn't want to clap on the phone, but it opens and closes real quick, and everything's timing. I have to be right in the right place at the right time, and if I'm not, that hole is going to be closed, and now I have to look and search for another way because I was late, and that's when you're late, it's a shuffle. If I just shuffle, just a real quick shuffle, I'm already going to be late, and I'm not going to be at the place that I need. And I understand how important being on time, being at work, doing the things you need to be doing in life, and setting up things so that you're ready to to excel in who you are. And so I've taken the things like that in the NFL, and I've used those concepts, and I've used those things to help me to navigate through. When I get knocked down, I'm get up. Wow. That's so cool. That is, that's, it's incredible. But, you know, I, th- I think that it has to be said that it's not everybody that takes those. Th- I mean, you know, right. there's a lot of different personalities in the NFL, and a yes, lot of them don't are. find themselves in such great places. And it, it has to do with something probably much deeper than that. So you took those things from the S- NFL, but mm-hmm. I bet, you know, you were strong enough to take them because of the kind of the, the, the tradition and the education you got at home, it sounds like you grew up in a really strong house. Well, that's why it's very important to know who you are. Yeah. When you know who you are, you can't, you don't let other people define and change you. Somebody tells you a loser, you show them that you're not a loser. Who told you? I mean, Hashem says, I love you and I gave you these talents. You are to search me out. How do I see you? And I think that's what happens. We listen to negative voices from other people and we destroy people i mean some of the kids i've had over 20 years ago they come back and they start telling me words that i said to them that i had totally forgotten but the words are powerful and i and i understand the power of words and so i try to elevate and lift kids or just like what you guys are doing just giving me this opportunity to be a voice to maybe one person out there that's going to turn on that and hear this and it's going to help them inspire we may not even see it till we get to glory and it'll be amazing that what happened in the income and what you guys are doing you know i i said who's religious well what does a religious person look like what does a religious person really do and how do we define what is really a religious orthodox jew because there are many things that some I've people seen. have strict definition but some but others don't <laughs> but you understand what i'm saying yeah you yeah. know i mean i've seen people without a keeper with a keeper you know doing things that wow that's a mitzvah yeah you know and it's it's really how am i treating my brothers yeah. yeah, and and if I'm not treating my brother right, I can be wearing the whole uniform. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything because yeah. you got to understand, I wore a uniform, and I know what that means. Mm-hmm. So wearing the uniform 
it doesn't make me act this or that way. It knows I know that there's a standard that I have to live because my coach, you know, Coach Woody Case, he taught us. He said, if you make a mistake, they're going to put out former, they're going to put Cal Murray, former Ohio State, former Philadelphia Eagle, all after your name. And all the things that you accomplished because they want to bring down, the media wants to bring down. And so I understood that and I didn't want to do that night. And I know how important because of the family values that I've had about my name. You have an incredible story, really, Yosef. And, and Amuna, thank you so much for coming, for coming here and for thank joining you. us. Uh, the book is called From Rose Bowl to Rashi. Yes. Is it uh, online also? like it's on, on Amazon. Amazon. Okay, you can get it on Kindle and bookstores. and Pomegranate, you can get it in, in Jerusalem. Uh, it's a bookstore? Yes. So cool. check it out, guys. From Rose Bowl to Rashi Are by Amuna Verid Murray. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, anything else we should plug before we go on your end? No. Amuna says no. Well, you know. It's, and it's, you seem like one to listen to your <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yes, you know, they want to make their wife happy. But, you know, I just really just want to say you guys are, you know, your spirit is very good. And, and, Thank you. And, and, I'm, and I'm just really honored to meet such righteous gentlemen Thank who you. really are doing the work of Hashem in a way that sometimes people may not really understand. But. So he'll you know, forgive, forgive me for for being secular and eating pork. Well, that's that's your you you on your journey, <laughs> man, and that's between you. I and I was Hashem. just about to say I don't know about Noor. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you well, very no, much, well, really, thank you, really so thank you so much for you're, coming. You're great so guys. before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal in Los Angeles. They're at JewishJournal.com, and they have uh, great articles, great podcasts, and you guys should really check them out and. And we do this on our free time, guys. So if you want to uh, help us out and support us, go to 2NJB.com slash donate. We accept donations. Thank you again so much. Thank, Thank you so much, guys. Bye, Bye. guys. Bye.